X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Tuesday, September 8th, and no, the wind and smoke and fire is not some new hellscape. It's just early September in climate change Portland. It's also a good day to subscribe to The Local. You can find us on all the platforms at linktree backslash the local portal. Yesterday, back in the day, Labor Day 1970, the Jansen Beach Amusement Park closed. Jansen Beach Amusement Park was Portland's million-dollar playground. Opened in 1928, it was the biggest amusement park in the nation, 123 acres at Hayden Island at the northern tip of Portland. It had a Ferris wheel, thrill rides, midway games, the scooter, little auto racing. There was a golden canopy ballroom which attracted big bands. People came from all over the world to compete in the dance competitions. There was a bathhouse, a carousel, a fun house, a Venetian canal ride, and the first musical swimming pool. You could swim and hear music underwater. And the main attraction, the Big Dipper Roller Coasters, the biggest and best roller coaster on the West Coast. Carl Jansen had been a co-owner in the Portland Knitting Mills. He ended up having success designing swimsuits for the Portland Rowing Club, and they changed the name to the Jansen Knitting Mills in 1918. You have seen the Diving Woman logo. And Jansen and his partners opened the Jansen Beach Music Park back in 1928. For 20 years, it was hugely popular, and Jansen Beach survived the Vanport Flood in 1948, but many of the people who survived moved away. This led to the loss of people going to the park. It never did reach pre-flood levels. The streetcars that had brought people to the park had been replaced with big roads for automobiles. The Highway Division built a span to separate the northbound traffic from the southbound traffic in 1958, and tolls were collected to pay the construction costs. And after years of dwindling revenues and 42 years of operation, the park closed on Labor Day back in the day, 1970. The rides were sold and dismantled. The pools were filled in. The buildings shortened down. The carousel was recently acquired by Restore Oregon. The pumping system for the pools is supposedly being used to get some water to some homes on Hayden Island. And at least some of the wood that was used to build that Big Dipper roller coaster, well, it's said now to be part of the wood of Portland's popular pizza place, Ken's Artisan Pizza. Today we will start with the Quick 6 News headlines. Barb Seaman is back with a poem from artist Beth Wood, and we have an interview with Gresham City Councilor Vincent Jones Dixon. X-ray. First up, it is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Portland has passed 100 consecutive nights of protests. Saturday was officially the 100th night of protests held around the city in the wake of the murder of George Floyd in May. Among other places, protesters gathered at Ventura Park in East Portland, close to the East Precinct, also pretty close to my house. Police declared the gathering a riot at around 9 p.m. Shortly thereafter, they began deploying tear gas, attempted to block people from leaving the park. A tweet sent out by the Portland Police Bureau alleged that protesters threw firebombs, rocks, and mortars. Tear gas has been used nearly every night in the past week. Clashes between police and protesters have prompted three of the 11 members of the Citizen Review Committee to resign. The past couple weeks have seen an increase in violence as protesters have been met by far-right counter-protesters. Last Saturday, Aaron J. Danielson, a Patriot prayer supporter, was shot and killed by Michael Renault, a self-described anti-fascist. Now, police have said that Renault may have been targeting Danielson before the shooting took place. New footage released by the police show Renault waiting in a parking garage while Danielson and his friend Chandler Pappas walked by. After they pass, Renault can be seen following them. His hands appear to be holding a gun tucked into his waist. According to Pappas, the two Patriot Pair supporters had been drinking earlier and had gotten into a confrontation with Renault and another man who was with him. 
The investigation into Renault revealed that on August 7th, he sent a text to his son reading, sell me a gun for a quarter pound of weed and a hundred bucks. I'm getting tired of this. I need a piece now. An interview with Vice News published last Thursday, Renault said he had acted in self-defense and he had had, quote, no choice. And Renault was killed by police Thursday evening in Lacey, Washington, as he was leaving an apartment building. Your daily dose of data. As of Monday, the state's running total is now 27,601 confirmed cases, 475 confirmed COVID-related deaths. 17 Oregon counties have been approved for in-person schooling, but many say they don't plan to hold physical classes. Oregon closed schools back in March, and in July, guidelines were loosened to allow students in kindergarten through third grade to be taught in person. Schools are allowed to completely reopen when the county sees a positivity rate lower than 5% per 10,000 or fewer than 10 cases per 100,000 people for three consecutive weeks. Currently, five counties meet that threshold. The K-3 rule allows the youngest students to return if a county has 30 cases per 100,000 residents. Twelve counties meet that threshold. And on Thursday, teachers in Springfield, Oregon, protested their school's plan to reopen on September 14th, claiming things were moving too fast. Some districts approved for in-person K-3 schooling, like those in Umatilla and Lane counties, will be using a hybrid model during which they'll host students two days a week. Portland business owners are expecting an especially tough recession. Within a month of Oregon's pandemic shutdown, the state's jobless rate was at an all-time high of 15 percent. 600,000 Oregonians have filed for unemployment benefits since March. Now the pace of layoffs is the same as it was pre-pandemic, and some jobs are coming back as the economy begins to open back up. However, the U.S. Census Bureau has been surveying small business owners' confidence in the economy, and Portland's responses were especially concerned with the future. 56% of small businesses in the metro area said they expect an economic downturn that will last more than six months. For comparison, only a third of Salt Lake City businesses expected that kind of a downturn. Detroit and Las Vegas are the only two metro areas in the country with a more pessimistic outlook on the economy than Portland. That said, just over a third of Portland business owners said the pandemic has had a large negative effect on their businesses. Statewide, small businesses are reporting less severe damage from the coronavirus recession than the national average. The Oregon Republican Party missed the deadline to include a statement on the voters' pamphlet by 29 seconds. As of today, their statement will not be included in the guide mailed to voters for the November election. The November voter guide will include statements from the Democratic Party, along with six other parties registered in the state. The state's Republican Party insisted it submitted its statements to the online filing system by 4.59 p.m. on the deadline August 25th. A spokeswoman for Bev Clarno, the Secretary of State, who's a Republican, said there wasn't an issue with the software, despite claims the Republican Party chairperson was frozen out of the software for several hours. The state Republican Party has now filed a lawsuit in the Marion County Circuit Court against Bev Clarno, who also happens to be the only statewide elected Republican. Their attorney, former Republican State Senator Kevin Mannix, said the statement had been submitted at 4.52, but was only processed by 5 o'clock and 29 seconds. The high winds were threatening Oregon's residents and forests alike. A high wind warning is currently in effect in northwestern Oregon. If you didn't know that, just look outside. The Weather Service is estimating eastern winds at 20 miles an hour and gusts between 50 and 60 miles an hour. Experts are advising residents to put away anything that could spark and to stay away from forest areas. And by the way, if you're protesting, don't play with fire. And PGE is warning customers to prepare for 48 hours of power outages. They're considering turning off power to nearly 5,000 homes and businesses in the Mount Hood area to prevent wildfires. All of Western Oregon is on a fire weather watch through Wednesday, and representative for PGE says power will be shut off only if it is absolutely necessary. 
And a ripple of hope, the Crossroads Food Bank in Northeast Portland has started a cooking program for children. The program uses boxed ingredients to help teach children how to cook healthy meals. Each Tuesday, volunteers pack boxes for families to take home at Crossroads Church. The program is called Healthy Eats For You Too. The program includes videos produced by a family showing their five-year-old son, Aiden, following the recipes, showing other kids how they can help in the process of cooking. In the first few weeks, over 200 kids have been served. There are beautiful people out there doing beautiful things. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Barb Seaman from partner station KXRW is back with a poem from local artist Beth Wood. The poem is called Not In My Name. Here's Barb with more. If you've been paying attention to the news, upset by the racism that's brought on the Black Lives Matter movement, the pandemic, the administration's blatant disrespect for most of its citizens and its lies, you'll probably find strength and inspiration in this poem. It's written and read by Beth Wood, a singer-songwriter who spent a good deal of time in the Portland area and now lives in Bend. Beth posted online recently, I never really thought of myself as a protest singer, but damn, y'all, it's spilling over. This poem is called Not In My Name. Not in my name. What can we do is the phrase I hear over and over again, swirling in my own socially isolated head, swirling in the ether, swirling into dining room tables and camping chairs around fires that never go out. Who am I but a white lady in her apartment in a global pandemic with rice on the stove and greens and beans simmering in garlic? What if I am tiny and afraid, ignorant and alone? What if I have a heart that could wrap itself around mountains of grief, hold steady while tears fall in rivulets that create their own gravity may never stop? What if my grief springs from a mountain? What if my tools are not bombs, fists, never have been knives? I have never planned for the destruction of anything except for the friendly ghost character formerly known as Dutiful Wife. I have not declared, written, lived any decree except peace above all. I may be small, but I can look into the face of a miscreant, murderous, rage-filled Minnesota police officer and say, not in my name. I can watch the hollow boy man deploy troops and tear gas while holding up a Bible in front of a church he never goes to with a cadre of spineless, soulless yes-men plus one in heels and say, not in my name. I can see the sweet round face of a tired EMT in her bedroom, gunned down in her PJs in the bright violent chaos of night blind pervasive white male dominance and say, not in my name. You wanna grab some pussy? Not in my name. You want to meet pain with more pain? Violence with more violence? Not in my name. Not in my name. Do you hear me? Maybe I am supposed to feel small. Can you hear me? I'll keep saying it until you do. 
Not in my name. Not in my name. Not in my name. That's Beth Wood. For KXRW and X-Ray FM, I'm Barb Seaman. X-Ray. Gresham City Councilor Vincent Jones-Dixon discusses his path to politics and the needs in Gresham. Here are Councilor Jones-Dixon and Joe and Jefferson Smith. Vincent Jones-Dixon is a city councilor for Gresham, a program manager for Africa New Life Ministries, sworn in a little over a month ago. On that same day, counter-protesters were outside City Hall demanding the removal of a Black Lives Matter flag. Vincent Jones-Dixon is joining us now to share more about his story, his vision for Gresham's future. Vincent, or should I say, Counselor, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Well, I really appreciate you taking this time. You've had an interesting journey to your seat on the city council. Where do you? Where did that journey start to the degree you want to share? What attracted you to politics? I appreciate that. Um, I, I think uh, for me, my journey uh, began, I, I would assume, um, during childhood, actually. I'll start as far back as the age of seven. Um, we grew up in the church, and both of my parents, we were heavily involved in the church, and we uh, they always made it a point to um, serve the community and the folks um, and within our church community. So we uh, hosted folks at our home regularly. Uh, we did um, financial training classes, and um, we I always participated in different events and everything at the church from the age of like six all the way up to nine. And then um, it just how it just continued to progress through through high school. I attended, as you mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned this or not, at Dewey North Catholic High School, and uh, one of the key pillars is service to our community. So I had a chance to offer, um, exercise my my faith and, and do that there. And then um, I transitioned into the death care industry, and um, that's serving your community as well and meeting people in uh, such significant times in our lives. And um, I think it was there where I really uh, solidified my love for uh, for Gresham because I spent two years at a funeral home out, out here in Gresham. Um, and I just continued to get engaged and everything just continued to blossom from there. And then as it pertains to my current position in, in, in government or in politics, I think it was just um, just from my, my engagement over the last uh, four or five years through the various projects and what have you. So, so yeah. You said death care. How did you decide to get into death care? That was all, all God. I was uh, actually working at Walgreens, um, and a gentleman by the name of Mr. Bailey, he walked, came in and he asked me if I would be interested in working in, uh, in the uh, death care industry. Um, and it was just a, a it was a general introduction, and I fell in love with it after the first um, after the first family that I met with. What do you like about it? Um, I I love just the fact that I get to sit with families in such significant moments, um, and just to be able to walk the families through the through the process. Um, that's the main thing that I, I love about about that. What's the hardest part? That might sound like a really dumb question, but I'm actually, uh, it, it can't, the hardest part can't be, well, maybe it is that people die, but that's what the business is. That's what you've been doing. So what, what ends up for, for you operationally or emotionally being the hardest part? Um, I think the, the hardest part is, um, uh, I would say, just determining the needs, or the thing that I love the most about it is determining the needs of the family and then sharing with them what their options are. 
um, especially for most people, um, it's usually usually big arrangements like once or twice in your in your lifetime. So most people it's their their first time making arrangements. So just sitting with them and then um, sharing with them what their options are, and then um, I think that's that, that's the that's the part that I love the most about it. But at the same time, it's challenging because uh, you're navigating through all the emotions and. Um, and then you want to make you want to ensure that everything is done right because you only have one shot at it as far as um, making these arrangements for their loved one. You said that people get to select options. Does anybody try to ask for the option of bringing them back to life? <laughs> that's great. Um, I, I no, but I know that's what uh, a lot of people wish um, could happen. <laughs> is that what never... you wish? As you spend so much time spending time with families who are dealing with death do you find yourself wishing that you didn't have to deal with that or do you appreciate death as a part of this cycle i, I definitely appreciate death as a as a part of this uh this cycle um and i believe steve jobs he mentions that in one of his uh speeches that he gave at, at stanford as far as um death is what keeps us keeps us grounded you know, um, and um, that, that's one of the things that I love about the industry. I mean, it does it does it uh, discriminate. Um, it's one thing that we all have in common. Um, and whenever it happens, you um, uh, it just it just grounds it, it grounds it. And I've seen it time and time again um, throughout my career in that industry. We're talking to Vincent Jones Dixon, Gresham City Councilor, who didn't come on just to talk about the funeral industry or the death care, came on to talk about being a new member of the Gresham City Council. How did that come about? That was not that was not initially part of the plan, or tell us how it ended up happening. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Actually, it's something that I thought about about five, five or six years ago. Um, I worked on a project called uh, Who is Rockwood? It was a community engagement project. Um, on this huge, I mean, uh, it's called the Rockwood Risings Project, and it was it had to do with this major development that they were doing in the heart of Rockwood. Um, and the main purpose was to be ahead of gentrification and displacement, and include the um, the, the community that lives in Rockwood and in, in Gresham in the planning of the project. Um, and during that time, a couple folks, a couple folks from the city and from the community, um, asked me if I ever considered running for for council, primarily because of my passion. Um, for uh, for service or for community, um, and because of my my lived experiences, and at the time I considered it, but I didn't feel as though I was I was ready. I felt like I needed to learn more about how like the city operates. Um, and then over the last four years, folks continue to ask me, "Is now the time?" In 2018, and I was like, "No, no, it's not." And then um, and then I planned to to run this in November. I made that decision, I believe, around May. Actually, it was June of this year and then when the seat opened up i was like why not get started early um so i put my name in the hat for the for the appointment and interviewed and um got voted in unanimously by my by my colleagues what are you finding how are you finding your role what is so far dazzling or challenging you yeah i think the thing that um has surprised me is that i don't feel any different um, and I think that's because of the work that I was doing prior to um, getting appointed to, to city council. And what I mean by that is I'm still talking to folks from the city, the directors and employees, and hearing from them, still talking to the community and hearing what their needs are, and then they're informing 
um, just my ask of like the city manager and the staff. I think the difference is now I get to make decisions um, and certain things are, are, are priorities <clears> or <throat> things that I'm passionate about or things that have been brought to me are a priority now. So um, I think that's, um, that's great. Um, and then also I think the difference that I feel is just this weight of responsibility now that I'm in this seat. Um, so that's, um, but it's a weight that I'm um, willing to bear. What are you finding the connection between your former life, your gig as a funeral director, and this? Any lessons? Anything that feels familiar or what things feel totally the most foreign? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's uh, quite a few correlations. I think the biggest thing, um, and I think I mentioned this bef- before, is just uh, the art of listening um, and the art of meeting people where, where they are and, um, and then the art of bringing everybody uh, together and um, coming up with a, a, a solution or outcome that fits everyone. I mean, that's something that I have to do in the death care industry. And then also uh, the nonprofit that I work for is called African New Life, and it's based in Rwanda. And at the heart of Rwanda, it's, um, most people, when they think of Rwanda, they think of the genocide that happened back in 1994. Um, and one of the things that I focus on in my position at African New Life uh, when I'm preparing travelers for their time um, to go to Rwanda is about the amount of the progress that the country has made in their journey through reconciliation. Uh, so the things that I've learned over the last year and a half and the things that I've learned in the death care industry, I'm applying to my, my current position um, as counselor. Um, and then as it pertains to Rwanda, it's just the whole journey of reconciliation and looking at um, how, do we, how can we apply some of those same principles to how we do our work here in, um, in Gresham. Gresham, as you said, had some big political changes over the summer after the deputy uh, city manager, Corey Falls, accused the police department of racism. Uh, how have those uh, accusations impacted Gresham, whether yeah. they've spurred police reforms, discussions of those? Say more about that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I think um, the number one thing that it's done is started uh, conversations. Uh, for sure, and actually, the conversation started well before, way before Mr. Falls um, drafted the letter and, and uh, shared his his concerns. Um, and the conversations have gotten even deeper, and it's um, pushed us to engage um, to be even more intentional around uh, creating um, by, by focusing on our approaches to diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and addressing some of the. Um, some of the challenge that Mr. Foles mentioned and other folks have mentioned, because he's not the only one um, um, uh, there at the city. There is a new radio station in Portland. Uh, the numbers focused on uh, East Portland and even East County. Uh, the mm-hmm. black community has moved east in, since I was a kid. Park Rose, Rockwood, the numbers. So now when there is a global movement about Black Lives Matter, we're not only talking about North Portland, we're also talking about East Portland and East County. Mm-hmm. The city council voted to fly a Black Lives Matter flag in Gresham. Some came out and protested it. What do you think mm-hmm. drove those protests? How do you hope to get folks on the same page? Or what do you think the appropriate response and objective is at this point? Yeah, that's it. That's, um, I believe that... Um, uh, again, conversations need to be had. A lot of the, a lot of our constituencies that have uh, been opposi- in opposition to the Black Lives Matter flag 
um, they have stated they don't understand the reasons why. Um, and I believe that us as a council, and it's something that we committed to actually this last week at our council meeting, um, is to put, put out a statement as it pertains to not only the flag, but just our commitment to the African-American, um, uh, the black American community here in East Gresham or in, in East County. Um, and then also we're, we're going to be hosting this is uh, conversations around um, around that, just like our lives here in, in Gresham for black Americans, for African Americans, um, and just race and uh, race and reconciliation. And that's something that former Mayor Bemis uh, started uh, last June um, or this past June, and we're going to be continuing that um, this September, actually, which I'm extremely excited about. There is a mayor's race in Gresham yeah. right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Travis Stovall, and, and I should put his background. The Pamplin, when they, uh, uh, when they, when the Gresham Outlook came out with a story of your ascendant city council, one of the things they highlighted was you're the first black member of the Gresham City Council in what thirty years. Yes, yes, Miss Claudette was the, the first. There are uh, the two candidates I'm aware of in the Gresham mayor's race are Travis Stovall, and I know them both. I would consider both of them friends, certainly more than acquaintances. Uh-huh. Uh, Travis Stovall, uh, African-American community leader for a long, been a community leader in East County for a long time. Uh, and also uh, Eddie Morales, who, who uh, you know very well. I don't know if you've endorsed in that race, but what are the issues you think are going to be most important in that mayor's race? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the issues that are most important uh, for me um, would be um, just the conversation around community policing, um, the conversations around race and reconciliation um, within um, within uh, the city. Um, there's a lot of conversations around just our, our budget as well. Uh, so those are the three the three main things. Um, and then we also have um, just community engagement. So involving um, engaging communities, communities that have been most um, just being intentional about reaching out to communities that have typically or historically not been a part of uh, the conversations uh, there at the city. I don't know if you're going to want to endorse in the race. You might not want to say who you think would be better, but which of those candidates would be worse? Which of those candidates would be worse, you, you said? Yeah. Uh, I, they Both candidates are, are strong. I, I wouldn't say either one of them. Um, neither uh, neither one of both of them would be effective um in the in the position in that position um i'm endorsing eddie morales um and that's just based off of um his um his level of of, of engagement um and the work that he's done uh, over the last two years as um as counselor um at just the level of engagement that he's done uh, there in rockwood and in, and in and in east Gre- and in east gresham well, this was our first get-to-know-you conversation. Uh, Counselor, hugely appreciate your time. I hope we'll have a chance to come on. You'll have a chance to come on and talk again. We can talk about the future of Gresham, what you think the key issues are, as for so long Gresham viewed as a suburb of Portland, but as a city in its own right, a growing area in its own right. And to get a little deeper on the issues that are facing your town, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. You take care, Jefferson. Thanks to Barb and thanks to Commissioner Jones Dixon for joining the local. And thank you for listening to the local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving that five-star review. And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.